It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. We made it. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. And as a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. The archive of this show and all of our programs is on Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Today's guest, we're joined by one of our favorites. He is Dane Brugler, the best draft analyst around. In my humble opinion, you can find all his work on The Athletic. He is sifting through all this pro day information coming in. Dane, hope you and the family are doing well. We missed you in Indy this year, my friend. Yeah, it didn't seem uh, you know like the usual uh, usual February without the combine and, of course, uh, meeting up with you guys. So definitely a weird year, but... At least we're, you know, getting some of these pro days in, some of these times, and hopefully it'll help add some context to these players as we try to figure them out before the draft. And I think that's a great place to start. How seriously, Dane, are NFL front office taking the times specifically coming out of these pro days and, and the pro days they had at some of these training facilities as they start to come out this week? Well, you know, a lot of the training facilities, uh, you know, the, the numbers that are coming out of there, uh, teams are taking them with a grain of salt. You know, they're, they're, they're saying, okay, that's great, but we want to see what you do with the pro day. And, you know, obviously it's not as uniform as the combine, but at least the, the pro day, that's being, uh, you know, th- those, are, those times are from uh, NFL scouts. And, you know, they're getting those times uh, from their own stopwatches, times that they can trust. Um, and, you know, there's no agenda there. There's no bias. And so, you know, it, it, it could be tough because we're talking about, uh, you know, a hundred, we're talking about over a hundred different pro days. And because, you know, usually in the past we'll condense a few and, you know, Wisconsin Whitewater, Quinn Miners, he'll be able to go to Wisconsin's pro day. Not this year because of, uh, you know, the pandemic and everything going around. So, uh, you know, each school has their own pro day. And so it's a lot of, a lot of travel for these scouts, uh, to move, to go around, to all these different pro days each and every day throughout the month of March. But it, it adds valuable context. Without having the combine, we don't have official heights, weights, arm lengths, hand sizes. Uh, you know, obviously the 40s, uh, the jumps, the shuttles. Uh, you know, it's just it, it, it's important to have all those just for context purposes. And, you know, I, I think that more than ever, we're going to see this draft uh, trusting the tape uh, more so than any workout numbers, but it's still, you know, important to have the numbers. Dane, with respect to the analyzation of the pro days versus the film, which you just brought up, there are a number of guys that opted out this past season, such as a Rashawn Slater, for example, who just had his pro day at Northwestern. How do you walk that fine line if you're an evaluator this season in terms of saying, hey, you want to go based on the film, but also the player hasn't been out there on the field in over a year? Yeah, it's complicated, um, and I think we need to look at each case individually. You know, not we don't need to paint with a broad brush here and say, okay, well, all these opt outs are in this, uh, you know, in this bucket over here. You know, each one has a different story, a different reasoning why they opted out. Uh, each one is at a different level in terms of their development. You know, Jamar Chase from LSU. He didn't have to 
play another game at the college level for us to know who he is as a player. Uh, where on the flip side, a guy like uh, you know Gregory Rousseau, the defensive end for Miami, he's played, what, two, three years of defensive end now and in his life, um, and his one year at the college level was outstanding in terms of production, but there's still some pieces missing to his uh, development that we're still trying to figure out. So each one of these players, you mentioned Rasan Slater, uh, you know, he was a three-year starter, and so I think we have a good feel for who he is. Um, but, you know, so not all these opt-outs are the same, and I think the other part of this is figuring out, okay, what have you been doing the last year? You know, you haven't been able to be on the field, so, okay, you've been working out great, but how are you better than what we saw last year? What are you specifically working on football-specific, uh, not just lifting weights, not just running and staying conditioned, but how are you a better football player? And that's part of the interview process and part of, uh, you know, part of an evaluation that, you know, we usually don't have to – it's not usually a, a part we have to figure out. But this year with all these opt-outs, all the guys that didn't play, it's just another wrinkle that we have to try and uh, – another challenge to try and figure out. Dane, every year we talk about these college players who will spend the first two months of the calendar year preparing for the combine. They will go to combine school so that they can excel in the underwear Olympics. And we all know that a lot of scouts will look at that with squinty eyes and say, yeah, okay, fine. We know you did the combine training, and that's why you did so well at the combine. Well, with the pro days now being uh, even more delayed and then the physicals not coming until potentially April, doesn't that give a lot of these players even more time to do those specialized training skills just for these tests? And could that not even introduce more of a percentage of error in what they do? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. And, you know, even with the opt-outs, they, they've had even more time to prepare for some of these drills. So, yeah, it, it's something that is not ideal. And, and honestly, you know, I think we're at the point where, um, you know, I'm not even sure how much, how many more years we have where the 40 and all these drills are going to be, uh, you know, the, the main focus of, uh, of the testing. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to move into a period where we're going to have the technology to, uh, you know, focus on GPS data from the field and how, how fast are guys mid-game, uh, you know, things like that. I, I think, you know, we're going to slowly shift to that part of it and you know a big part of getting the, the drills is just for uh you know you can see comparison purposes so you know sam cosme and Rashawn slater uh two uh potentially first round offensive linemen both had a one six eight ten yard split at the pro days which is phenomenal no one no offensive lineman in the last two drafts hit that number so having that one six eight you know in a vacuum says okay he's quick but being able to compare it to past classes and understanding, okay, well, no offensive lineman had a one six eight the last two years. Okay, well, that that says something about how these guys move, um, and and so not having those uh, those numbers will, you know, for comparison purposes, will hurt a little bit. There'll be an adjustment period, but I think we're getting to that point uh, with just the more technology, the more we're able to do. All right, Dane, let's get into the class itself. Obviously, the Giants are very focused on potentially adding a playmaker at some point this offseason. We'll see what happens in free agency. But if they go that way in the draft, our focus has been on those top four guys, the three wide receivers, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and we'll throw Kyle Pitts into the mix as well as a flex tight end. 
How do you personally separate those four guys? And how do you sense NFL teams are viewing them, especially in terms of which one might still be there, if any, when the Giants pick at 11? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting when uh, you look at Pitts. Uh, he, he's a unicorn, and you know we can talk all about how uh, you know past uh, tight ends drafted top ten and whether or not they've panned out. But you know, uh, my counter to that is we've not seen a player like Kyle Pitts before. He's so unique with what he offers: six six, two hundred forty five pounds. He runs legit four five. And, you know, you watch him on, on, on tape against SEC corners, they can't cover him. This isn't like a tight end who's a, who's a mismatch against linebackers and safeties. He's a mismatch against corners. And, and so, you know, he's just a very, very unique player. And he is a tight end. He's not a, just a, a, a glorified receiver. You can line him up in line, and he can execute basic blocks. But at the same time, you want him, uh, you know, running patterns. You want him getting downfield and being a playmaker. So, uh, to me, Kyle Pitts, it, it's 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 hard to figure out exactly where he's going to go because so many teams, you know, tight end might not be at the top of their wish list, but it's so hard to pass on a Kyle Pitts. And so, you know, you look at a team like the Cowboys picking right in front of the Giants, tight end's not exactly high on their list, and, you know, we know they're stacked at receiver, but if Kyle Pitts is there at 10, I, I'm no way I'm passing on him. Uh, so, you know, it's, just, it's hard to figure out with Pitts. With the receiver – uh, you know, there's there's varying orders around the league. Um, for me, it's Chase, Waddle, and then Smith. And that's nothing. That's not to take anything away from Smith because we're we're splitting hairs here with what they these these guys offer. Chase, I, there's some Larry Fitzgerald to his game. Um, you know, he's not the biggest, not the fastest, but he tramples over DBs. He, he wins at the catch point. That my ball mentality is present on every single one of his targets. Um, and he can create his own separation. He doesn't. Need, you don't need to be a four-three guy to create that separation, and he shows that. So to me, Jamar Chase, he's an easy number one, and he's the guy. And then with, between the two Alabama receivers, Waddle, the speed is special. It's just different. Uh, the way he can move, the way he can set up defenders, create over the top, uh, create with the ball in his hands, uh, and you see that. Uh, that maturation that you want to see as a route runner, you know, from his freshman to sophomore, uh, the junior year, you see him get better. And so that's, that, that gives you optimism about moving to the next level, becoming an even better route runner than he is right now. And then Devontae Smith, I mean, what can you say about what he did this year? Obviously there's going to be some, some, some concerns about the weight um, and just him holding up in, in terms of the, you know, the physicality of the NFL being only 175 pounds. Uh, but his route nuance and his ball skills are big time. He's a very instinctive player. So I mean, you really can't go wrong with any of these three. And if one of them were one of those three receivers were to be available at eleven, I, I mean, I, I don't think that you can run the card up quick enough. Quick follow up: Do you think one of those guys will be available at eleven? And if so, which one is the most likely? You know, it's hard to say. I would guess Devontae Smith. Um, you know, assuming that you know Waddle, there's nothing, nothing wrong medically wise. You know, he's he's coming back from that ankle injury. You know, everything's cleared there. Jamar Chase. You know, he doesn't show up at the pro day. Uh, you know, 225 pound. You know, he looks like he's in shape. And you know, because again, he's an opt out, so we don't know exactly what the last year has looked like. So, uh, assuming everything goes as we expect to go through the pro days in the next two months. Uh, I, I do think Jamar Chase would be off the board somewhere in the top six. And, you know, I've been told the Eagles really like Jamar Chase. 
uh, that that would make some sense there. Uh, Jalen Waddle will be there uh, somewhere in the top uh, eleven. You know, he could sneak there to eleven, but you know, it, it, it's hard to say because this is a very offensive, top-heavy draft. You know, it's a lot of offense. We might see uh, ten offensive players go in the top ten picks. It, it, it's possible. So, um, you know, I, I think if one is going to be there at eleven, I, I think probably Smith would be the more the most likely one. Dane, i got to ask you a, a little bit of an offbeat question that I haven't heard anybody ask yet, but there are so many who think that three or maybe even four, but probably three quarterbacks go in the top ten, and there will be people falling all over themselves trying to trade up to get one of them. So I'm going to ask you, based on what you've just said now, and it's something we've all talked about but never really questioned, and that is if the three receivers and pits are sure to go in the top ten, is there anybody out there who's going to fall all over themselves to trade up to get one of those guys instead of to target a quarterback? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, there, there's no reason you know, why not. Um, and I, I think, the, well, I guess the one reason would be this is another loaded wide receiver class. Um, and so while, I, you know, I think Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith are outstanding players who project as immediate uh, playmakers on an offense in the NFL, I, you know, I, I think you can make a case that uh, this is a draft where you can wait until the second or third round if you're really looking for that pass catcher. Uh, and, you know, you could get a Kadarius Toney or Rashad Bateman, a, a Rondale Moore, Elijah Moore. Uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of options later on, uh, second, third, fourth round where you don't have to use uh, another draft pick to go up and get one of these guys. Now, Kyle Pitts, he's the, he, he might be the, the, the exception just because he's so different, he's so specialized. Uh, you know, I think he's a top three player in this draft, and you know, he has true matchup potential with what he offers. So Kyle Pitts would be the one where it'd be really, really interesting um, if a team would, you know, you look at the Patriots sitting there at 15, you know, trying to add a, a dynamic weapon like that or one of these other guys. I, I think that's one of these other teams that would make some sense for Pitt. Dane, you said it was pretty much splitting hairs when evaluating those top four skill position players, and the Giants finished 31st in scoring last season. So I think at this point, anyone who they could throw into the mix could certainly be beneficial. I want to, though, specifically focus on Waddle and Devontae Smith, who you had indicated could very well be there at 11. They both do have some durability questions. Waddle, because he didn't play much this past season. Smith, because people are speculating about the body weight and will it transfer over. Though, Smith played double-digit games, Dane, in each of his last three seasons at Alabama, and I understand he had the finger injury late in the year. How much do you look at the fact that he held up in college to perhaps counter what people are worried about and speculating that he won't be able to last double-digit games in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, he stayed healthy, he stayed durable. There's that, that's indisputable, um, and I, I think that it comes down more to when you have to split hairs and you can't, you have to stack these guys. You know, you can't put them on the same level. You got to stack them, and so you're looking for ways to prefer one guy over the other. And I think, you know, for a lot of evaluators, they'll go to the weight and say, well, you know, I'll just I'll feel a little bit better about the guy that's 15 pounds heavier and, you know, move that. And um, with Devontae Smith, you know, even though he did stay healthy, I mean, you look at his body type and just he's so skinny. He's very wiry with the way he's built, lean muscled. 
And so you do worry about just not having a ton of body armor on, on his frame, um, you know, just taking some extra bumps and bruises, how that's going to affect him for a full 16-game schedule. But, again, we're splitting hairs here. We're looking for reasons to, to stack these guys. And so I don't it's, – it's, it's not a reason to pass on Devontae Smith, but it might be a reason why you go with a Waddle or a Chase over Smith. All right, Dane, let's say those four guys are gone. I'll focus on the defensive side of the ball. Do you have a clear picture in your own mind, in your own evaluation, and then do you think NFL teams do, about who really the the best defensive players are in this draft and how you stack that group? Yeah, this is an interesting discussion because I think there's plenty of candidates, you know, for, okay, five years from now, who will be the best defensive player from this class? There, you you could ask five different scouts from different teams, and you'll get five different answers. Wow. Okay, there's you look at a Caleb Farley, a Patrick Sertan, uh, you look at Micah Parson, you look at uh, Wusu Koromoa, a uh, linebacker from Notre Dame, uh, and then maybe one of these pass rushers, uh, maybe Christian Barmer. There's a lot of talent at defensive tackle, but we're missing the, the clear blue-chip guy at the top, and for different reasons. For me, Caleb Farley – He's my top-ranked uh, defensive player, cornerback out of Virginia Tech, but he's not a squeaky clean prospect. This is a, a, a guy who never played cornerback in his life until 2018, and then you know, so he played 2018, 2019, and then he opted out of 2020. So you know, we're missing a lot of development there. Now he's a big-time athlete, six-two, over 200 pounds. He's going to run really well at his pro day. Uh, he's got this burst uh, in these instincts that I think are going to translate really well. But also a guy that has an ACL uh, in the last three years. Uh, he had uh, a back injury that uh, required surgery. So, you know, again, not a squeaky clean prospect by any means. And, you know, there's at least uh, a reason to think, well, okay, wait, he might not work out because of this. Patrick Sertan. Not an elite speed guy. Uh, you love the instincts. You love the technique. You love the way he never panics out there. But he doesn't have that high-end twitch or speed that you're looking for uh, at the cornerback position, especially if you're drafted one in the top 15 picks. So, you know, you can pull holes in all these guys, but you can also point to reasons why, you know what, they might be the best defensive player from this class in retrospect when we look back five years from now. Dane, I'm going to go a little bit bigger picture here rather than focus on a position. Let's just say there are three or four quarterbacks gone and the four premier offensive weapons are gone. Who do you think is going to provide the best value in the neighborhood of where the Giants will pick at 11? It doesn't sound to me because of the uncertainty and the wide variety of opinions as to the best defensive player in this draft that that's not going to be the guy you'd want to take at 11 because there won't be a very hard, concrete conviction on him. Yeah, and I think it just, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the Giants, who knows, they might, uh, they might fall in love with one of these guys. Uh, you know, Caleb Farley is going to be so enticing because uh, of the athletic skills and what he did in such a short time at corner gives you a ton of optimism. You know, even though he's only played the position two years, he was really, I mean, just throw on the Miami tape from 2019, and you see a guy that's blanketing routes. He already shows an understanding of ball instincts. He was a big-time quarterback coming out of North Carolina, so, you know, he's used to having the ball in his hands, and he does whatever he can to get the ball back in coverage. Really fun player. Um, and then even like Michael Parsons, another guy who, he was a pass rusher at the high school level. Uh, and, and so they moved in a linebacker, an off-ball role at Penn State, 
led the team in tackles both years as a freshman and sophomore before he opted out of his junior year. So uh, there are a lot of reasons to be excited about these guys, and I, it wouldn't take much to fall in love with one of them. Uh, Jer- uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, the versatility he offers. He's, he's different than Isaiah Simmons from last year, um, You know, just a little bit different with what he offers. I think he's better in coverage, um, and he's got a little more versatility with what you can – he's a big-time pass rusher. He can play the run. So, you know, it, it won't take much to fall in love with a guy like that. So I, I think the one position that would give me pause drafting that early is pass rusher, you know, at, at number 11. I don't know. It, it's hard to fall in love with any of these pass rushers to draft him that high. To me, Aziz Audulari from Georgia is the top guy in this class. But some teams believe in the uh, the, the ceiling of, of Gregory Rousseau. Uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, Miami, uh, the other Miami pass rusher, He's got some questions with the medicals in the off-field, but you know he, you can make an argument he's the best pure pass rusher in this draft. So the pass rushers are the one position where I think the, the Giants would look long and hard, but I just don't know there's a, that there is one right there at that spot where they feel comfortable drafting. Dane, on the topic of value, they did draft two offensive linemen in the first three rounds last year, but they just parted ways with Kevin Zeitler. Maybe the Giants feel like they want to address the offensive line, depending on what happens in free agency. From a value standpoint, if somebody falls that they didn't anticipate, such as Sewell or Rashawn Slater's there around 11, how would you rank the top-tier tackles and the drop-off after those two guys in particular? Yeah, I think there's the those two guys that you mentioned, Penny Sewell from Oregon, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, they're the top two. Um, and uh, Penny Sewell, I just would be shocked if he's there, if he, if he falls out of the top ten. So I don't think he'll be available. But Rashawn Slater's the interesting one. Um, you know, another guy that I think the Cowboys at number ten will be very interested in if he's available. But if he gets past ten, then the Giants, I, I think, would be wise to look long and hard at him. He was uh, played right tackle, left tackle. Uh, at Northwestern, uh, but I think a lot of teams, they view him best as a guard or a center. Uh, but they also view him as a guy with five-position versatility. Uh, he looked great at his pro day, 6'4", 304 pounds, 33-inch arms, so just enough that which you know teams are looking for at tackle. But again, a lot of teams view him best uh, inside as an interior lineman, really athletic. Uh, what I love most about him is he is so aggressive and controlled. He does not allow pass rushers to put a move on him because he, he gets out in front. He shuts it down before uh, pass rushers can do anything with it, with their hand or their setup. Uh, it's really, really impressive to see. Uh, he did it against Chase Young uh, last year uh, when Northwestern faced Ohio State. So uh, I'm a big Rashawn Slater fan, and I think if you're there at 11, that it, it, you're looking at a, a player that you, you feel really good about how he's going to translate. And in a, a year like this, where there's a lot of uncertainty, we might see teams be a little more conservative. And instead of going with a, a Caleb Farley, who you know is coming off some, a few injuries and the opt-out and the position change, or uh, Devontae Smith, where maybe you have a question about the, the size and how it's going to hold up, Rashawn Slater, uh, you know, aside from being an opt-out, He's as squeaky clean as you could want from uh, a prospect in the top half of this draft. So I think that would certainly make some sense. All right, Dane, final question. Uh, I want to just go to the second round and ask kind of a broad question like like Paul did for you earlier at 11. You know, last year the Giants were able to grab a guy like Xavier McKinney. Great value uh, at the top of that second round of the draft. What position do you think we're going to see 
have some players that could have some end-of-first-round type of value when they selected 42? Could one of these, you know, hit-or-miss edge guys still be there? Do you like the the, the second tier of offensive linemen? What, what are the positions where you think there is some really good depth where the Giants could find the best potential value at 42? I think pass rusher and corner. I think those two positions, uh, now they're two really important positions on, on the roster. So we could see a run on them in the late first, early second, but they're so loaded in you know the top 50, top 60, that I do think we'll see some of those corners squeak through outside the top 40. Maybe even some of these pass rushers, when you look at you know a Joseph Osai from Texas, uh, Joe Tryon from Washington, uh, you know, those those could be uh, possible options there in the second round for the Giants. And then at corner, I, it's just a loaded position this year. Uh, Farley and Sertan at the top. Greg Newsom out of Northwestern will be after him. J.C. Horn right after him. Uh, but then in the second round, you've got the two Georgia kids, Eric Stokes, uh, tall, long speedster. Uh, same thing with Tyson Campbell, the other Bulldogs corner. I think both those guys will be there on uh, on day two. Um, uh, if Yatu Melifonwu from Syracuse uh, could be in that mix. If they're looking for more of a nickel player, Elijah Molden's the best nickel cornerback in this draft. He's going to be somewhere in that second round. Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky has got uh, you know a a laundry list of red flags, but. If you do your homework and you're comfortable with him, you're getting a first-round talent in the mid-second. So this draft at corner uh, has a lot of talent and a lot of guys worth considering, uh, potential targets there in the mid-second for the Giants. Dane, Dane, good. I'm sorry, Paul, you want to finish up? I wanted one more, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, if I could, John. Mm -hmm. Dane, uh, one more thing here. You know, if the Giants uh, are concerned about Saquon Barkley, and we don't know exactly where he stands health-wise, but we all believe that he's going to come back and be Saquon Barkley – They've got nothing behind him right now because free agency is going to ravage that running back's core. Uh, in your opinion, are there enough of good 1A-type running backs that the Giants will be able to pick up third, fourth, fifth round where they can they can find somebody who will be able to pair with Barkley and, again, Lord forbid that Barkley isn't himself, somebody who's going to be able to maybe even have a bigger role than what some would anticipate? Yeah, I think so. Um, no, there's not a lot of them. I don't think this is a, a strong running back class, but you can find those guys. Um, you know, in this class, uh, like a, a Larry Roundtree out of Missouri, who might not have a wow factor to him, but you can trust him out there. He's not going to fumble. He can catch the football. He can block. Um, you know, whatever you block for him, he's going to get you. So you get him in the fourth or fifth round. You know, you feel good about, uh, you know, putting him out there, and, you know, he, he's not going to hurt your team. Um, if you're looking for more, maybe a little more home run potential, then you go JV and Hawkins from Louisville, who little undersized, five nine, two hundred pounds, but lightning in a bottle. Uh, just get him the football, let him create. He's got outstanding speed, um, and, and so I think this draft, uh, it, it, while it's not super strong at, at running back, there's definitely some options. If they wanted to go even earlier, Michael Carter from North Carolina, one of my favorite players in this class, he reminds me a lot of a, a slightly smaller version of Dalvin Cook. And you could get him in the the late third, early fourth. So this is a running back class that's not. It might not be the most uh, the strongest uh, position in this draft class, but there are certainly options you could find at the third, fourth, fifth round that'll come in and help you right away. And you know, guys that'll help round out the roster. Dane Brugler from the Athletic. Dane, when are we going to see the beast this year? <laughs> 
Uh, well, I mean, it's really important. I, I really try to get all the pro day information. I know you do. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, and, and so this year it's even more important uh, because, you know, we don't have any of the combine data, so we need that pro day data. And um, so hopefully be able to get all the pro days in, and then that'll be the last uh, piece of information I type into the into the document, hit send. And so hopefully that some, sometime that first week in April that'll be – That'll be the goal. Um, you know, give uh, give everybody a few weeks to digest everything in there before the draft. Uh, but trust me, I'm I'm working day and night uh, all through the month of March uh, to make sure we get it done. So I can't wait to share it with everyone. I know you are, and we'll have you on when it comes out. And of course, you get the beast for free, right, Lance? With your subscription to the athletic, uh, with your subscription to the athletic, right, Dane? Right. Just have your subscription, and it's included as part of it. So it's a, it's a heck of a deal, if I say so myself. I think it is, too. Dane, good stuff, my friend. Keep up the good work. Get back to the grind, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right, brother? All right. Thanks, guys. Dane thanks, Brugler thanks, Dane. from The Athletic does a really, really good job. We love Dane. And we'll have him on uh, the Giants Auto. We'll do a little video hit with him when, when the Beast comes out. The Beast is his draft guide, by the way. It is, it is one of our favorites. He does a really nice job. We thank him uh, for joining us. I'm not sure about you guys. Um, actually, first I should do these couple reads before we get into our other conversation. Limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more info. And Giant fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank. With the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop, you can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC. Uh, so, guys, I guess before I get to my second point, uh, the first broad question I'll ask you guys, biggest takeaways from Dane, uh, what did you learn that has you kind of thinking about what the Giants might do in the draft? Paul? Well, it's not so much what the Giants may do. It may be more about what the Giants won't be able to okay, do. Okay, talk to me. What do you got? Well, with him saying that he's got Pitts as one of his top three players overall in this draft. And by the way, so does Daniel Jeremiah. He has Jamar Chase two and Kyle Pitts three. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and for Dane to say that Pitts would even be a guy that somebody might even consider trading up to go get. Uh, it's it's making me and probably Jeff Fiegel's more nauseous than ever that Pitts will not be there at 11. Get it out of your head, Paul. Get I think so. It's over. Put a yeah. bow on the package. I think so. It's not happening. I think so. How about you, Lance? Well, I mean, when you pick 11, you have to anticipate that there's going to be some disappointment ahead of you. I mean, there's 10 teams that are going to be selecting players. Stop and, talking and- logic, Lance, please. Well, I understand that, but, you know, these pipe (laughs) dreams that we keep throwing out every single year I I think is a bit of wasteful activity, if I may say. I basically took away from what he had mentioned was there wasn't much of a drop-off outside of Pitts, though. He said that with respect to the receivers, he thinks that, you know, any of them could come in and make a significant impact. So I think that's at least a positive silver lining, and it's splitting hairs, which was his exact phrase that he mentioned. It really comes down to which flavor do you like as a team, and how do you see that player fit into the offense? So if there's not a significant drop-off within those three, if one of them could get to the Giants at 11, I think that's promising. The other thing that he mentioned, and this is something that I think we've talked about a lot, there's a great deal of depth at wide receiver. So if they're all off the board and the Giants can't get their hands on any of them, when you look at the early second round or maybe even the third round, there's still the potential to bring in a playmaker 
that could perhaps do some damage. And I think that's been well documented in previous drafts. So I don't think the Giants should be overly disappointed if they can't get an offensive wide receiver at the 11th overall pick. No point of stretching and reaching. Say to yourself, all right, maybe we'll swing around on our board and we'll be able to claim somebody in the second round. And two other things I want to bring up before we get to the calls. Lance, just to add to that, in the second round, you know, he mentioned wide receiver being deep, so that's obviously an option. Then he mentioned, mentioned pass rusher and quarterback. So, look, that's, and I've said this a million times, right? That early second round, I love that range in this year's draft. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. That's why I would love to get another pick in that area. Those are three positions in need, right? Receiver, pass rusher, cornerback. Mm -hmm. So that top of the second round, I'm telling you guys, that's going to be a really, really good spot for the Giants to be in. It should give them freedom then to just pick the guy they think is best in the first round. I'm almost willing to say I'm taking need and I'm putting it in the toilet and I'm flushing because I just want the guy that's the best because I can figure out another position of need in the second round if I need it. Well, you know, John, uh, how many times do I have to say you have to have conviction about that guy at 11? You can't afford to project. You can't afford to guess. You have to know in your heart of hearts that that guy is going to be a player. So I think you're probably more in the Sertan camp then, right? Yes, I am. I figured you would be. I mean, I don't like locking in on a position in particular, but I would agree with you, John. I don't think the Giants really should be overly concerned about need. I think they need as close to sure things as possible, especially in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. And if that means it's a player that is just too good to pass up on, you take the player. Simple as that. Because you can't predict injuries. Once again, they took McKinney high in the second round, which was a good value pick. But if you were to ask anybody in the Giants organization, did they anticipate he was going to get hurt about a week or two before the season started? No. And then what happened is they wound up landing Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan may not be a New York Giant right now if McKinney doesn't get hurt. So that's the latest example of you could plan, 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 and then all of a sudden the curveball is thrown, and you have to be able to react accordingly. All right. The second thing I want to bring up is... Lance and Jeff had a chance to react to the Zeitler release yesterday. Paul and I haven't. So, Paul, I'll give you my take first, and I want to get yours. Mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised when I saw it. I thought they might be able to figure something out with him to keep him on the roster. Obviously, they weren't able to do that. And the more I've thought about it, and if you folks haven't checked it out, I did a 10-minute, it's a really quick one, a Huddle podcast with Ian Rappaport. The audio's on the Huddle podcast feed. The video's also on the website. Go check it out. Subscribe to the Huddle podcast, please. And he said, look, there has already been, and there's going to be more, pretty good veteran offensive guards that are going to be let go because teams are trying to get under the salary cap. So the more I've thought about this, they might be able to get a Kevin Zeitler-level player or at least a close-to-a-Kevin Zeitler-level player in free agency for maybe half the cost of what Zeitler would have cost on the salary cap. So if that's their plan, I endorse it. I think that makes sense if they're able to pull something like that off. And, folks, that might not happen the first couple days of free agency. That that might be a week into it or, or 10 days into it, something like that. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it because I really do think you need to have some type of veteran guard in there to give competition to Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez so you know you have two good starting caliber guards out there on opening day. You hope the young guys play well enough to win the jobs. That'd be great. But, I, Paul, I need to have some type of veteran in there that I feel confident enough 
to plug in and play. And I know they signed Harrison in the offseason. I'm sorry, he's not to that level for me. Um, I need to have that veteran there that I can feel comfortable about plugging in and playing if I need it. Yeah, I would agree with everything you just said, John. And, and you know, we've talked about this Zeitler situation now for a few weeks, and there were two options. One option was to uh, reduce his salary if you could get him to take a pay cut, obviously keep him, you know, on the roster. Another one was to totally get rid of him. And really the third option was, and I guess the Giants did not feel like it was worth it, uh, was a guy at 31 years old, if you believe that he's got at least two good years as a starter left, there would have been nothing wrong with extending him and maybe putting a voidable year or two on the back end. It wouldn't have cost you that much. And if you truly believe he's going to play for two or three more years and start, right. then it's not like you're throwing that money away because it won't be dead money. He'll earn it. All you're doing is spreading it out over three years instead of getting it in one big Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, so I think all three were possible. And I tried to stress to people that, you know, that third option was clearly a possibility. Now, the Giants must have looked at it and said, you know what? We don't necessarily think that we're going to want to have him around for another two or three years. And on top of that, I happen to agree in retrospect, now that the, the cut has been done, I said to myself, well, all right, so what's the other logical reasoning for them to release him? And it has to be what you said, John. They must believe in their heart of hearts that they can get somebody in the talent ballpark of Zeitler for significantly less money because of the deflated cap contracts that are going to be given out to these veterans who are finding themselves on the street in the next month. It has to be. I don't, I don't, has to be. I don't see has any other be. way about it. And by the way, I think it's, it's very possible. And by the way, the other piece of news that Ian Rappaport gave me in that interview, again, you guys should go check it out. Uh, he thinks he seems to think that the Giants and Solder are going to come to a some type of renegotiation here that's going to keep him on the roster. We'll see. They have a few days to figure that out. Dan Duggan indicated that a little bit in his column for The Athletic this morning. We'll see if those things come to pass. Obviously, they're just reports. Uh, we're not, you know, confirming them or agreeing with them or saying they're going to happen, but just something to keep an eye on over the next few days, uh, what happens with Solder. And he to, and this is something Lance and I always talk about. He would provide that veteran competition at tackle the same way we're looking for veteran competition to guard, right, Lance? That would be the veteran competition at tackle to compete with uh, Matt Parrott and whomever else would be out there at, at right tackle. Well, because I don't think any of the young guys on this team should be handed starting jobs. That's yeah. why I think there's value in having a veteran at guard and tackle. Unfortunately, The Giants don't have the luxury from a financial standpoint to keep everybody. But to Paul's point, the Bucs just did with Tom Brady what he was suggesting perhaps the Giants would do with Zeidler. And by the way, they they also did it with Levante David. They gave him a a five-year contract, but three of those years were voidable. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's why it was announced as a two-year deal, but technically there's three additional years. And then with Brady, they tacked on additional years, but they're voidable. And the whole point is to give some more flexibility so you're able to bring back the majority of your stars this year, which is exactly what Tampa Bay is trying to accomplish. But once again, I think the Giants were weighing, do we want to spread out a guy that maybe we only look at as somebody being on the roster for another year and we're going to part ways with him anyway? Or do we feel as if we can get a replacement? The Chiefs, for example, released Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. Both of those guys are veteran tackles. I think it depends on how the market plays out for some of these guys. I think certainly it's not a stretch to say maybe you could get somebody. But remember, guys, there are a lot of teams that do have cap space. And if they have a need on the offensive line, some of these veteran offensive linemen are going to get some good money. 
in their contract. So there's still a risk when you just bank on the fact that sure. you'll get a bargain somewhere. There's no guarantee that's going to happen. Hey, and you don't know if the, maybe the new player is not going to work out as well as Zeitler. Who knows? You're right. There are some question marks there. But at some point, you know, you have to accept some level of risk. Final thing. Did you guys have the TV on, by the way, while we were doing that with, with Dane at all? No. Okay. No. No, because Trey Lance's pro day was going on live as we were doing that. And boy, it's just a pro day, and for quarterbacks, it doesn't matter. But you watch him out there throwing the ball. He's built like a freaking linebacker. Like yeah. he just he looks like he could play linebacker, and he checks every box, which is why, which is what we've kind of talked about, Paul. It's a big projection for him, mm-hmm. but you certainly see those Josh Alleny tools there, where he can make every throw with velocity. And boy, he there's there's a lot there to work with. Maybe not in year one. It's going to take a couple years to figure him out. And get him ready to go, given his you know competition level, the offense he was in, you know taking a year off, all that stuff, all that stuff. So just something to keep in mind here as we go forward. Josh Allen had two years as a starter at Wyoming, yeah. whereas Trey Lance had what seventeen games. So yeah. <laughs> it's a, a bit of a disparity from that standpoint. I've got nothing against Trey Lance. It, it goes back to conversations actually we've had with Paul here on the show, where he always referenced Bill Parcell's school of thought, and Bill Parcell's school of thought is. Hey, the experience needs to be there in college, especially with the quarterback, before I just roll the dice with a guy that, you know, may have had potential over one season. And with Lance, what frightens me is the lack of starting experience in college on top of the fact that he played at North Dakota State. So those are two big strikes. And you look at the Carson Wentz's and you look at some of these other guys and we've seen some flashes, but maybe the consistency is not there. I'd be a little bit worried about moving up, putting all the marbles on the table for a guy like Trey Lance. We saw with Dwayne Haskins, you know, when you only have one year slash maybe a few games as a starter, it's, boy, that's not really much of a security blanket there. So we have Lance quoting Parcells. All we need is Paul mentioning the Giants haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since Carl Banks, and we're officially in Bizarro World. I think that would there be great. Go. Well, I have nothing against Bill Parcells. <laughs> no, I'm totally fine with quoting I him. I know, but you uh, quoting Parcells. I'm not anti-Parcells in any degree. No, I understand, but you quoting Parcells is still not. No, normally that's Paul's yes, role. That is correct. correct. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought you were going to say you. Playbook. Uh, you want you want to hear me profess uh, my uh, my uh, worship for Michael Jordan, which of course will never happen. Well, that's fine. I don't want you to even go there. Anyway, you'd be spoiling his legacy to begin with if yeah, well, those words would come out of your mouth. Don't miss that out. A, don't miss out on your chance to experience. Hell of a baseball from, player. Yeah. <laughs> the, even a better basketball player, though. I'm glad we uh, at least got that out there. <laughs> go ahead, folks. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, phone calls for the next 20 minutes, folks. Let's get to it. 973-667-1960. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Coach Marvin. Coach, what's up? Hey, how you doing, John, Lance, Paul? Hi. Doing well. What do you got for us? Yeah. Uh, well, I did see uh, Trey Lance. I'm sitting here watching Trey Lance. He he he, um, he did look good today. Um, so, for whatever that's worth. Um, I was just uh, listening to you guys talk to the guy about the draft. And the one thing I see with the uh, Giants this year, picking at 11, uh, I, I, I see – the one good thing coming out of it, we have a lot of options here that we can build on this team. And you guys went over most of that um, with the offensive line, trying to bring in someone at guard at a lower price. Those things are plus. 
um, as far as the draft, if we can't get one of those three receivers, um, you know, the guy was talking about uh, uh, Slater, I, I wouldn't be disappointed if they, they went in that direction either. There's so many directions they can go in in this draft, which could be a positive for the team. Yeah, right um, now, Marvin, I'm look. If those playmakers are gone, I'm looking at Slater and Farley right. as my next right. two. Um, I understand the risk with Farley. I was impressed enough with the way he moves in his tape to be okay with taking that chance. So that's where I would look if, if those top four receivers and Penny Sewell obviously are all, right. are, all, are all off the board. And I think a lot has to do with if they look at Slater as a potential guard candidate, which is what Dane said. And, you know, when we had a Northwestern guest on yesterday, there's a debate about whether or not teams would start him off on the interior. Then he has even more value where you're selecting him at that point. Exactly. And I agree with that. And then the second, I think hopefully, hopefully, we, we don't know who's going to be there, that they can find a receiver because I think the number one priority. It is building the team. You you want to build the team, but right now, from from my point of view, the number one priority is making Daniel better. Yes. The team's yes, better yes. 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 So you're going to have to build build that foundation for him to help him um, be successful. So I think that's why the receiver or tight end, somebody like uh, which I'm not going to mention his name because, like you said, John, he's not going to be there. Um, a tight end that they can use, something that he can use as far as a weapon, and I would hope it'll be a receiver they can get somewhere in the second round if those guys are gone. Um, as far as the free agency, um, I like the receivers in the free agency, but I don't know how you guys feel. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I love these guys at fifteen million dollars or something like that to pay the guys that are coming out this year as uh, wide receivers in the free agency. I, I say you, you, you get one of these guys later, a couple of days after the free agency, and give them someone maybe a one-year deal. And the guy, I say you, put the, you pocket some of that money, and the guy I've been looking at, he's under contract. He's on a team that's going to ha- probably have money problems, and I like this receiver. It's Gollum. I sit and I wait and see what happens with that guy. Well, well, coach, I'm just you, you. You say Kenny Galladay? Is that who you're talking about, or Godwin? No, I'm saying the ones that are on the free agency this year, Galloway and those guys. I don't know if they're number one receivers. I really don't. Okay. Because I like them, but I don't love them to where I'm like going to spend fifteen million dollars. So then who do you love? The the guy I love is going to be a year away, and that's um, the Cowboys, Gallup. Oh, oh, Gallup, Gallup, you said Gallup, Gallup, I got you, you. yeah, 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 and you know what, it's funny, I wouldn't be surprised, and, you know, Dallas is going to have to make a decision, because you're not going to be able to pay all these offensive guys, you know, if you like Gallup enough, do you then maybe trade in Amari Cooper to get a defensive player, because, you know, Gallup might be a little bit cheaper, but I agree, I think Michael Gallup's an excellent, excellent player, but he's also not going to come cheap. No, he's not, that's why I say you, you don't just out. Spend and get these guys that you see today. Like I said, I like these receivers today, but I'm not in love with them. I think but Gallup I, and Galladay are actually pretty similar players, to be honest with you. The way they win, so? yeah, I do. You know, they're both kind of um, on the bigger side. They're not huge, but they're both above six foot. They could both yeah. win down the field. They both make contested catches. I think the right. way they go about their business is a little similar. What about their health? Uh, Gallup definitely checks the box there better than Galladay does. 
Right. And and then you're looking at, um, and, and, and I, I can see where you're going with that. And they probably, the way they play similar. But you, you're looking at Gallup playing with Cooper and Lamb. And they got a running back um, that they're going to have to give the ball to. So he's not getting as many opportunities, I think. I don't know. He may not be getting as many opportunities to showcase his all as far as his Well, balance. he had over 100 targets in each of the last two seasons. So, I mean, he's heavily involved. His receptions went down slightly in 2020, and part of that was – I think because of the quarterback fluctuation and, of course, the arrival of C.D. Lamb. But, I mean, he's still a prevalent component on the offensive side of the ball for them. I think, you know, this is different. When you brought up Gallup, part of me was going back to Martellus Bennett, if you remember. Bennett was playing behind Jason Witten, and you wondered if the Cowboys going to invest in Martellus Bennett. They let him walk. He wanted a bigger role, and he signed a one-year deal with the Giants, and it worked out because he had a very good season, and he wanted to spread his wings. Gallup is not Martellus Bennett, where he's sort of being hidden behind an Amari Cooper. They spread the wealth on that offense. So it really depends on – remember, Lamb was a draft pick last year, so they know they have him for a few more seasons. It depends on whether Gallup wants to stay and how much more flexibility they have. Remember, they created a lot of cap space with that DAC contract, and they reworked their offensive lineman contract. So – I don't know what they're prioritizing for next year, but Gallup is not a guy in the shadows in Dallas. I wouldn't describe him that way. Well, no, I wouldn't describe him that he's hidden. I'm, I'm saying, in a sense, he's a talented guy. They know he's talented. But I don't know if, if what I'm saying is they have receivers that they can go to, Lamb, and they have um, Amari Cooper. I'm just saying... I don't believe that he's the featured guy on their team. See, here's the thing, Coach, and and, and thanks a lot for the call. I want to make sure we get to a bunch yeah. of other guys. I think you might be able to find, Paul, like we talked about with the interior offensive linemen, can you go out there and find a, a lower mid-market wide receiver who when the – and this is an expression you're going to hear me use a lot. Lance likes talking about the musical chairs. I'll I'll use a different metaphor with the same game. When the music stops, not all these wide receivers are going to have a seat with the contract that they want. Mm-hmm. There are going to be guys left standing. So can you go out there and get a guy who says, you know what, I'm not going to sign an undervalued multi-year contract this year. I'd rather sign one year for a team that needs a number one style wide receiver. I'll get a lot of opportunities with a quarterback that I believe in. And, you know, with Daniel Jones, you know, he's shown flashes for sure. Maybe that's a position the Giants can find themselves in, where they can add a veteran for a year to help build up his value, and then mm-hmm. you see where you go in 2022. Oh, I got the guy for you. I mean, if you really want to sign a veteran let me receiver, guess. Let me if, guess. That's where, if that's where your money's going to be? Marvin Jones. Oh, no, 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 no. Sammy Watkins. Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, I think, He's going to cost money. Yeah, though. I don't think you're getting. I don't think he will. I don't think a one-year prove it deal for him. No, nah, Juju's going to get. He money. averaged less than ten yards a catch this past season, and by most accounts, people said that when uh, Brown left and Juju was forced to be the number one, he kind of sputtied there a little bit. But I agree I think with all were, that. That's yeah, okay. but I also didn't have a good quarterback I, throwing him the ball last right. year. Well, that's what I think. So I think the, the I think that Ben 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 wasn't necessarily himself. 
They also did not have anybody on the other side to help out help out with coverage. He and also they played didn't have a running game, and he also yeah. played mostly so, in the slot last year too, correct. which was a different role. Yeah, for so there's so many factors that hurt him and impacted him. Plus, right. he's 25 years old. 24. Now, I I think. <laughs> well, I haven't could, listened to 25. Maybe he's going to turn 25. Oh, you I think might be right. he could be primed to have a bounce back season. Now, if the marketplace decides that he's not going to get top money. I think that would be a great guy to sign on a one-year prove-it deal because he's going to be looking to make top money and a killing the following season when the cap goes up. Now, I agree with your guys' analysis of him. I think that's accurate. But uh, to me, his one-year prove-it deal is still going to be $10-plus million. It might be. I'm just saying that would be a guy I would think about because I know there's a lot of folks pointing the arrow down on him right now. Okay. So I would at least make that phone call and investigate it because as I look at the receivers, you know, you you obviously have your franchise guys, and then you know people going into this whole free agency before the tags, they were saying, well, it's it's Robinson, it's Galladay, and it's Godwin, right? That's what everybody said. Those three guys. Mm-hmm. And nobody was talking about Juju well, as being one of those three guys. Well, I think Juju's in with with that next group of guys with like Corey Davis, right? I think he's with that next group. See, I'd rather have him over Corey Davis. Okay, well, well, and that's fine. I think that's fair. I, I I think you can have an honest argument either way on that. To be honest with you, I, I don't I don't I don't think your opinion's wrong by any means. Um, I guess what I would say is that when I think of a one year prove it deal, I was given the Giants cap situation, Paul, which we all know is tenuous. I was thinking somebody that maybe you could get in that one year, five to six or seven year range. So you want to go down the another one level. For, I just don't know if they can afford a $12 million cap hit. No, I'm not suggesting that they can. Right. I, I, what I'm suggesting is if you can get Juju for like eight with incentives for one year. If the marketplace is deflated, maybe that's possible. It, look, if you can, I'm all for it. Great. Um, I'm just not sure. Not hey, Look, maybe teams are really down on them. I don't know. And Remember, it. there's a ton of receivers in this draft, too. Now, the other thing, too, and again, Joe Judge stressed this in his press conference last week. How, or I guess it was earlier this week, right? Whatever it was. Um, this is when you have your toddler home with you. Your brain goes to mush. Um, but... You kind of want the right type of guys here. And by all accounts, Juju Smith-Schuster is a great guy and a great mm-hmm. teammate. He got elected captain all that stuff. But there's a lot of social media stuff. I'm not sure that's a fit either. Yeah, well, he was celebrating on the logo, which was the crime of the century, apparently. Well, I, no, was, it was with a dancing pregame on the logo. I don't think it was celebrating after the game, right? Wasn't it dancing? No, it was yeah. dan- well, I mean, dancing, celebrating, yeah. right. same thing to me. You know, prior right. to the game, of course. I mean, that's yeah. minuscule. That of course it's really minuscule. It's not minuscule to society who needs to be outraged over everything, but yes. I, I don't think that should prevent the guy from being signed, and I have no problem with the player. I just don't agree with Paul that the finances are going to work out in the Giants' favor. Oh, they may not. That's where my, I don't my see My point it is, if, if you could somehow get him in that ballpark, I think he'd be a tremendous value and if, a good fit. If the money makes sense, Paul, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think it's a too. name you should absolutely entertain. See, when we had the show and we were talking potential targets, I didn't even consider all of those names that we've thrown out. I was looking at a guy, for example, like a Rashard Perryman, who I think could give some speed. You could sign him to a one-year deal. I don't think he's going to break open the piggy bank, and he's going to look to really make a name for himself. He could further cash in. I was looking at those targets in that type of financial realm as opposed to looking at the 
top one slash top one and a half guys because realistically with Robinson and Godwin off the market now guys remember both of them are franchise tag Mm -hmm. so if you had a list of your top three wide receivers you just cut off two of them which means Juju I would argue Paul now moves up on most boards free agency wise for teams which means I would think the market is elevated for him and that's where I think it may come back to hurt a team like the Giants if they were hoping him to maybe fall. Could could potentially happen. I would say this, though, to this point, right, he's only made, a, what, something like a little over $4 million in his career on his rookie contract. So if you say to him uh, that, you know, we could give you eight-plus incentives, now I'm not saying that that's going to be realistic. You may be right. Maybe you can't touch him for under 10. But what I'm saying is because he has made relatively – a small amount of money compared to some of the other high-talented receivers, $8 million to him is actually a, a hell of a raise. That, that's, that's still a hell of a boost over where he was. 973-667-1960. Guys, I want to squeeze in one more call before we say goodbye. I want to do more than one call here. Let's go back to the phones. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, it's Charlie, Portland, Maine. Hi, guys. Number What's three up? this week, Charlie. What's up? How he gets hey, through just is unbelievable. Time. No, it's the third time. You, <laughs> you did back-to-back days earlier in the week. I did? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But anyway. Hey, well, anyway, I think you're all crazy because I wouldn't go out and get a wide receiver in free agency. It's going to cost way too much money. And why do you want a guy for one year? And then he's going to leave because he's going to get more money somewhere well, else. Well, Charlie, I hate to draft. tell you, Charlie, if you wanted to sign for agents this year, they're all going to be one-year deals. So I would prepare yourself well, mentally for that. That's what the market's going to be. Well, I wouldn't go after a wide receiver. I'd go get them in the draft since there is an incredible draft of wide receivers this year. You could probably pick up two really good ones. So I wouldn't even go there. Charlie, but, I happen to agree with you. I would not sign a receiver, but the hypothetical was if you were going to sign one, who would you oh, I who would you want? Yeah, yeah. I, I personally I would I, not. Yeah. I think Watkins is a possibility. He might be really inexpensive, but you know, I wouldn't go there anyway. See look here here but, he, 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 Charlie, really quickly, here's the thing yeah. when you've got to make this decision though. I mean, we don't know if one of those top wide receivers are going to be there at 11. So then you have to think to yourself, well, okay, are you okay now going into next season with your only addition to the wide receiver core being whomever you pick at 42? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good ones that you well, can get Well, the yeah, they're round. good, but I thought your whole thing is you're, you're looking for not a receiver, you're looking for a number one receiver. Look, it doesn't matter who we get. If we don't have an offensive line, I don't care if you got Jerry Rice. You know, we got to get that fixed first. But I think there are good receivers that will help and be really good for the Giants in the second round if they have to. I, I really do. But anyway, the reason, I, the reason I called is because of Harrison. Harrison is on, he's a, he's a center, but he's played 84 games. He is a veteran. He's seven years in the league. He's 29 years old. He's had 42 starts out of those 84 games with the Jets and with the Colts. And most of those starts were center, but some of those starts were at guard. This guy is going to be a player, and everyone is not talking about him Charlie, because this guy. Charlie, he if he was so good and was going to, if he was going to be so good, how come he signed the reserve futures contract that didn't try to go into free agency? On top of that, he's never started an entire season. He's never been looked at as the guy. The most starts he's yeah, had in one season has. is ten, he, he, and that, he, that, he, that only happened 16. twice. Hey, Len. Lance, he played 16 games in 2019. He played yeah, 16 but 10 games of them were the starting. 
position. Correct. Not all 16. So he has never been able to hold the starting he job. He has never for been all the starter games. for all 16 games. That's, that's my point. Oh, that's your point. Okay. So I, I think that, that I think that he holds a role as a swing offensive lineman who could play guard, who could play center. But to me, he's more of the insurance policy, the jack of all trades guy that you could plug in when somebody gets hurt. That's not to say that he won't have a chance to compete, but if you're going in thinking he's in the driver's seat to solidify a starting job when he really hasn't done that in his career, I'd be very surprised if that happens. Well, compared to who we have, all we have is Lemieux and we have uh, Hernandez. Yeah, but that's right now. Hold on, are they playing a game tomorrow, Charlie? No, we have a lot of time to go All I can talk about, Lance, is right now. I understand that, but you realistically have to figure that between the drafted free agency, there's going to be other faces added to the roster. Yeah, I mean, I think, Charlie, the points Lance is making, you don't say, oh, well, we have Harrison on our roster. We don't have to worry about offensive line (laughs) and free agency the draft anymore. I mean, that's silly. No, no, no. I I, I don't know about free agency. I, I don't know. If, you know, well, if free agency starts next somebody. week, and you can add veteran players to your roster to help you. Right. So now you. But know all that. I'm trying to say, every time <laughs> you guys talk about the offensive line, you leave him out. And what I'm saying is, he is a viable candidate to be a starter. We view him as more guard. of a backup player than a starter, Charlie. That's why we don't bring him all up right. in the mix with starters, right, guys? Is that fair? All right. Is yeah, that, that was exactly my mindset. Paul, That's why when Jeff and I had so. that okay. detailed conversation okay. yesterday, and, right. and John, you threw his name out. Yep. I well, that's because this maniac called me yeah, off the air and wanted me to tell up. you. Well, but I, I knew his background was that he wasn't oh. a main starter for the bulk of his career. Hey, look, he's the Will Beattie of 2021. That's uh, all I got to say. Charlie, you, Charlie. you now walk the plank. Have a great day. And what exactly did Will Beattie do in 2021? <laughs> or what football field is Will Beattie on? I don't think that's oh, a great my. parallel, if that's your oh, point. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Gentlemen, have a good weekend. And Sounds we'll be good. back next week, maybe with some free agency news. Who knows? For the folks, that, by the way, everybody, uh, the negotiating period begins on Sunday, I believe, 4 o'clock, right, Paul? Is that accurate? Yep. And uh, NFL Network will have coverage starting at 1 o'clock that day with their free agency frenzy Wait, program. Free, no, John, the free agency is the 17th, right? No, no that's I when said, you could officially sign yes, on right, the 17th. And so it's two days before that is when the talking starts on the 15th, which is Monday. I thought negotiating period started on the 14th, no? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the 14th. Okay, that's fine. I've been too busy trying to get ready for this college football game. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just, well, now I have to double check it. Hold on. Uh, da, 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 da. I, could be, I thought the 14th is when you could I start. I think it's the 15th. That's, but, that's the last I knew it was the 15th, but you guys can it, tell No, it may be on. the afternoon of the 15th. No, Paul, Paul, you are correct. Teams are allowed to negotiate with agents of prospective unrestricted free agents during a two-day period beginning March 15th at noon ending at 4 p.m. Eastern on the 17th. You, you are go. correct. Thank you for correcting, Paul. Not the reason problem. I got confused, by the way, is when we had Ian Rappaport on the huddle, they asked me to promote their first free agency frenzy program on Sunday at 1 o'clock. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, so that must be when it starts, right? See what I get for not looking things up? That's what you get. Thank I'm you. sure, though, we're going to probably hear some chatter starting on Sunday, though. I wouldn't be surprised if that starts to come through. Yes, check out the chatter, and then I guess our show will start right on Monday when the free agent negotiating period starts. Fun! So make sure you tune in to Big Blue Kickoff Live on Monday at noon for coverage of that. For Lance Meadow, for Paul Dottino, just a reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. The archive of this show and all of our podcasts can be found at thegiants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and your favorite podcast platforms. For Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk. We'll see you on Monday, everybody.
Have a great weekend.